This is the Software and Technology Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. The more diversity of thought of the people working at tech companies, the better. The blockchain idea was around 91. The same idea of in the digital world, we need verifiable documents. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and joining me is Bob Sage. He's the owner, founder, and chairman of the board of Psyche Systems. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for this uh, presentation. Absolutely. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Psyche and how it started and uh, where the name came from and how the company <laughs> really evolved into what it is today. Um, but Bob, you, you've created something that's lasted over 40 years now. The company got started in 1976, uh, but that wasn't without uh, its initial challenges, right? Like kind of walk me through those initial years and what were some of the, the hurdles that you had to overcome just to get started in the first place? Well, I'll, I'll try to encapsulate uh, the history of the company uh, it's pretty interesting, lots of ups and downs as with any company. But uh, a quick overview would be that I started this company in 76 as a contract programmer. I was uh, contracting mainly for Digital Equipment Corporation, where I had used to work uh, after I graduated from college, and also for their customers. And one of the projects they had, and I did all kinds of stuff, uh, mag tape handlers, anything. Uh, one of the projects happened to be an interface to a laboratory instrument called a SMAC. And if there's anybody with a lab background, uh, I'm sorry, not a SMAC, an SMA6. If there's anybody with a lab background listening to this, they may remember that old clunker uh, with a bunch of needles uh, tracing graphs on a graph paper that rolled by. Mm -hmm. So I wrote that for digital so that they could um, sell it to one of their lab customers, a laboratory, and then that laboratory wanted to have a lab system. They asked Digital if they had one. Digital recommended me. <coughs> so just as another project, I wrote a lab system for this wonderful man in, um, in Providence, Rhode Island. He had a little lab there, and it was probably one of the first lab systems ever written. Um, I just basically lived in that lab for a long time and learned how labs worked. I didn't know anything about labs. And uh, maybe this is a little bit of information for more technically minded people. I wrote that system on a PDP-1105. It had uh, 32 KB of RAM and one megabyte of disk storage. That was two floppy disks. And uh, so that was very early. There were 72 tests. Uh, we interfaced to that instrument that I told you about, and I got that laboratory up and running. As far as I was concerned, that was just another job that I made some money on. However, a hospital in Wisconsin, fairly large one, heard about it, and uh, they could have uh, gone with, the, with MedLab, who was the big name at that time, but uh, they would have had to spend literally 10 times as much as I was charging. I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was worth. I was just charging <laughs> by the hour, basically. So uh, they contracted me with me to write a hospital system, and I went out to Wausau, spent a lot of frozen days in Wausau uh, writing that uh, hospital system. One interesting little anecdote or whatever is I was finally leaving Wausau and uh, looking forward to going home and warming up a bit. Um, not that much because I live in Massachusetts, but still it's 
unbelievably cold in Wausau, Wisconsin. And I was at the airport and I heard the overhead announce my name to pick up the courtesy phone. And it was the lab manager whose name happened to be John Paul Jones. Hello, John, if you're out there. <laughs> and he asked me, I just have one question for you, Bob. How do you, how do you run pickup labels? And I said, what are pickup labels? Because that had never been specced out. So I turned around, went back to the hospital, and wrote the pickup label program. There were no hotels available, so they put me in a bed in the hospital. Fortunately, it was a private room. It was very <laughs> convenient. I just rolled out of bed and walked down the hall to the laboratory and uh, wrote their pickup label program. They ended up being happy with the system as well. That led to other hospitals. And uh, that's really how I got started into the lab business. I pretty soon realized I, it was more profitable to resell and develop existing software than continually selling my time. So at the time, I was um, subcontracting. All this was done under a subcontractor. And the, the man I was subcontracting through also noticed there was a lot of money to be made in laboratory information systems, and he decided to write one of his own. So uh, I was suddenly out in the cold. I didn't have a computer, and computers cost a lot of money in those days. So I, uh, I naively walked into the local bank and asked to borrow the equivalent of about $100,000 today to buy a computer, a little one. Uh, again, if you're not as old as I am, you have no idea what these things used to cost. And um, as I like to say, I got a pat on the head and a kick in the butt. <laughs> and I, I was out on the street. And I just happened to find this man, a much older man than I. He was uh, in his 60s, who was looking to invest in a small company. And he had some money. And this was kind of more or less venture money in a way. Uh, he came from the garment business. He knew nothing about laboratories or technology, but he knew how to uh, raise money, and he knew how to market. And uh, I would walk into a bank with this guy, and he'd walk out with whatever he asked for, because everybody knew him. He was one of these guys that everybody knew. So he knew all the bank managers and officers and whatever. So we raised all the money we needed. Uh, we continued to sell. Lots of people bought our products, continued to develop it. And I will say, uh, just parenthetically, that we were developing under an operating system long defunct now called RSX, uh, uh, RSX and uh, write, writing in Fortran, which turned out to be a very good language for this, but not, uh, not too typical. That was th that, those were the days of COBOL, if you were doing business programming, which I didn't like at all. <laughs> uh, Anyway, so we sold a whole bunch of systems. We added a whole bunch of people. We were doing real great uh, through 1986. And then our um, sales manager, who was a wonderful, wonderful guy, uh, got in a fight, argument, whatever, with my partner, and he quit. And it just turned out that that was the dude who was closing all the deals. We had four other salesmen. But apparently, none of them could close a deal, or none of them could after that. So that was crash bang. That was that was bad times. And that was um, in uh, that was in 1987. Is that right? Just kind of that about would be ten 19, years into things. Yeah, early about 1987. Mm -hmm. So at that point, uh, just to make the story even more dire, the Bank of New England held a note from us for uh, about a, over a million bucks, 
and they were in deep trouble at that point and they needed all their money back. So they told us to pay the money back. <clears throat> well, we couldn't pay the money back, as anybody would know. Right. If you've borrowed a million dollars, it's because you need the million dollars. <laughs> so we couldn't pay it back, and my partner kind of panicked because he was the deep pockets in the partnership. So uh, he asked me to buy him out, and I found a younger guy about my age to buy him out, so he went bye-bye. And then we continued on, the two of us, and we started selling systems again. I eventually bought him out. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that must have been, so that was 1987 and 1988. I, I like to tell people we've been in business for 42 years, and there were only two years where we were not profitable. And that was 1987 and 88 after that kind of earthquake that we went through. And so then uh, started making money again. And uh, uh, c should I digress to tell you how we paid that million bucks back? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think learning from overcoming that struggle is a, is is an interesting aspect of of how you grew and developed as a company. I will. Well, I'll tell you there are, there are people called factors. I don't know if you know about them. If you're in the garment business, you do. They buy receivables. Mm -hmm. So you go to the factor and you say, you know, everybody who pays me any money, the money will go directly to you. You take out a cut and you give me the change. And they will lend you a lot of money that way because it's safer than just giving you a check for money and hoping you pay it back. So I went to a factor. I got the million bucks because we had tons of receivables. Uh, the downside of that was that the effective interest rate, which I calculated one day to my shock, was 42% per year. That's what we were paying in interest. But we were doing real good. <laughs> so in a couple of years, we paid back the factor and uh, got back on our feet, uh, you know, financially, got out from under debt. And, and since then, by the way, I have never borrowed one dime. Wow. Because if you've never wondered whether your house was going to be taken from you for a year on end. Uh, well, if you've done that, you don't want to borrow money anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so we don't, have, we don't have debt and we don't have venture money. We, we run on our own power. Mm -hmm. Now, 1989 is when you changed the name of the company to what it is today, right? Psyche Systems. Uh, right. What, what was kind of behind that, that name change? And did it kind of signify almost a new beginning for you? Uh, it did. Uh, there were several things going on. The company was called System Analysis Corporation, which I patterned after Digital Equipment Corporation, which is a company I just loved. I, I just loved working there. When I graduated from school, I thought I was going to have to wear a jacket and tie. I shouldn't admit this, but I'm an ex-hippie, and uh, <laughs> I didn't want to wear a jacket and tie. So I go up to Digital Equipment Corporation, and there's, it's in an old mill. There's the ceiling is just wood planks and the floors are uneven and everybody's wearing jeans and sneakers and I was in heaven. So, I mean, I love digital. Uh, but anyway, I, so I had named it that, <clears throat> but that was when I was a contract worker and doing general systems analysis kind of thing. So I wanted a, I wanted a new name. <clears throat> now, you might wonder where Psyche came from. Well, it started uh, actually with a butterfly uh, we had been modifying our systems to use graphical user interfaces that had been green screen or black or white on black before. So this was colorful. And we had also introduced the group system, which I suppose we'll get into later, which I considered a three-dimensional uh, 
structure, corporate structure, as opposed to the flat uh, corporate structure that's typical in all over the world. And so that was three-dimensional, colorful, and it just occurred to me that when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it becomes colorful and starts flying around in three dimensions. So I thought a butterfly was a appropriate symbol for what we were going through. And I might add, I was walking through a field one day, just hiking, and a couple of monarch butterflies decided, just around that time, decided to follow me around for, I guess, about 100 yards. I don't know why, but call it synchronicity. But anyway, I thought the butterfly. So what? So that, that was the start of, of the new name. And then a friend of mine happened to mention that the goddess Psyche, her symbol is a butterfly because she represents the spirit. And in Greek mythology or Greek beliefs, early Greek beliefs, when the body dies, the spirit exits in the form of a butterfly. Hmm. So I like that name Psyche. And I thought, you know, what is software? Software is mind. It's thought. It's not hard stuff. It's really the encapsulation of thoughts. So the fact that a company would be named Psyche uh, seemed appropriate. So we called it uh, Psyche Systems Corporation after a lot of going round and round, <laughs> various tables. And that's where Psyche got its name. I like that. And, and I also like that, um, you know, y you mentioned earlier you were, you were an ex-hippie. Like it might kind of bring in some of those ideas too and kind of represent <laughs> who you've been in your past too, right? I don't know that I was thinking about my <laughs> hippie past at the time, but it's embedded in me. Yeah. And I do think the group system does reflect some of the uh, hippie mores, you know, values. Yeah, let's, probably does. let's dive into that. So 1990 was the year you introduced group system. And That's right. Yeah, so explain what that is for people that maybe don't know what that means. How is this different than how uh, maybe the traditional model, hierarchical model that people typically set up their companies using? Okay, I'll do that, but I, I would like to first uh, tell you how, how it came to be, yes. you know, how I got this idea. Please do. Um, I was, at the time, experimenting with object-oriented object programming, which was new at the time, and we had been doing typical procedural programming, you know, talking Fortran, PO1, COBOL, all that stuff, basic. And so I was experimenting with it, and I wanted to you know, use it, and what it's very good at doing is modeling. You know, you take something on the outside and you make a little baby version of it inside the computer. And so I decided, well, I'll, I'll model my company. So I was trying to model the structure, the hierarchical structure of our company, and ours was pretty typical, or totally typical. Mm -hmm. And um, there are these things called classes in object-oriented programming. And by the way, uh, I could talk about object-oriented programming for another hour, but I won't. <laughs> we'll have to schedule another podcast for that yeah, one. Maybe, maybe yeah, maybe, maybe not, yeah. because it's, it's, it's kind of old hat. But at the time, it was just revolutionary. Mm -hmm. So I realized, so I was trying to model the, you know, a manager's people reporting to a manager. And those, there's those straight lines on the hierarchical um, organization chart. And I realized suddenly that I could do it with two classes. There are classes in object-oriented programming. And one was a person, and one was a group of people, which I just called the group. Because if you took a manager and his or her reports, uh, that they constitute a group. So you could take the entire hierarchical structure of a company, if you can imagine it in, 
in your mind, you know, CEO at the top, VPs, managers, all, all the way down the line. And at each node, you can draw a circle around the manager and the people who report to him. And then another circle about around one of the people who report to him and his reports and on down the line until you get a, a series of bubbles, interlocking bubbles. Can you imagine that? Am I, is, that is that clear to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so then I realized I can, at this point on this chart that's on the wall, I can erase all the lines because I don't need the lines anymore because people are grouped into these circles. And then I suddenly realized I don't need a manager anymore either. Now I knew that teams were the most effective way of running a business, of running something, of doing something. It's been proven uh, that, for example, a team of non-experts will outperform a single expert, even in his area of expertise, which is very weird. But teams have been proven to be wonderful. What I saw that I had there on the wall was a uh, company made out of only teams, interlocking teams. And each team, uh, instead of having a manager, would simply have a leader who wouldn't give orders to the team, but would facilitate meetings of the team so everybody could get involved in the decision-making process. It was kind of like bringing democracy to what is in, in, uh, basically a dictatorship. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to knock corporate hierarchies because they work real well. And certainly in the military, they're fabulous. They got to be there. But in this case, you could have the hierarchical structure with the reporting going up and down the structure, but you would miss out on people telling other people what to do. And I, again, probably goes back to my hippie days. I like that. Besides, I don't like telling people what to do. It's just not my nature. Right. I, li I, like, I like talking in groups and coming up with great ideas together, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I in theory, this sounds like it would work splendidly, and I, I love the idea, but how was that initially received by people? Because I'm, I'm assuming that people that maybe were, were managers or were in leadership roles that liked having that title and were kind of seeking to kind of climb a corporate ladder, perhaps, <laughs> may not have enjoyed that uh, that's this change quite as much as maybe some others. You got that right. <laughs> I, you know, when I got this idea, I mean, it was so clear to me that this would work, even though it wouldn't be clear to anybody else, as I think you're <laughs> implying. I got everybody in, the, in a big conference room. I drew the whole thing out. I did the circles and all. And I said, from now on, there's no managers here, just groups, interlocking groups. And uh, you're right, it didn't go over well. And, and then the next five years, the managers were upset. People said there were no accountability, you know, blah, blah, blah. There were lots of objections. It'll never work. And over the next five years, half the people in my company quit. And um, I replaced them with people who were more amenable to the group system. And besides, they would come in and it would be already there working. It wasn't like, hey, I'm risking my job here. This is The whole company's going to collapse because of this. I, I want to tell you a brief anecdote where I had a vice president at the time and I sent him to a team building seminar. You know, he goes there because I wanted to learn how to, everybody to learn how to get along on teams. Mm -hmm. So he told his story. He came back from that. He said during an intermission, he was talking to a guy and, about what they did for teams and their company. And he said, here's what, we, and Ken, my guy said, here's how we do it. And he described the group system. And the man said, uh, that'll never work. 
And Ken said, no, you don't understand. We've been doing it. It does work. And the guy <laughs> said, no, you don't understand. It'll never work. And unfortunately, that's the attitude of a lot of people. And the fact is, for certain kinds of people, it's all wrong. It doesn't work. It's kind of like the Galapagos Islands, where certain species survive and certain don't. It takes a certain kind of person. You've got to find people who really love what they're doing and would do it even if they weren't getting paid, if you understand what I mean. Sure. They don't need somebody to tell them what to do or tell them they did it wrong. When they do something wrong, they fix it. And they like, and they're collegial people, and they like sitting around and talking. They don't, they don't like to fight. They don't like to stab their way up a corporate hierarchy. I, I don't want to knock the corporate hierarchy because obviously it works. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it's the right thing. But what I've established here, now doing this since 1990 successfully, and as I mentioned earlier, every year has been profitable, is that this is an alternative that does work and is viable. And uh, for me, you know, for my personality, being able to sit around a table as an equal with other people, like right now I do, I said I came in, uh, I now come in a half a day a week. I sit around the table with the top group in the company, which we call the Psyche Directions Group. It's really the CEO of our company. Mm -hmm. And I sit around as one with them. I don't try to tell them what to do or whatever. I give my opinion, they give theirs. And the COO, who is the leader of that group, uh, facilitates the conversation. And I'm just part of it. And I, and I just love that. So the... Uh the leader at that uh, at that speaking engagement that you were talking about earlier that said it would never work. Well, now it's worked for for thirty years almost. Yeah. So uh, right. kind of funny how that works out. But but in your mind, what are some of the keys to having success um, in an organization that's structured this way? Surely there were some uh, decisions that you made that really helped uh, chart your course um, towards success uh, when it came to kind of readjusting and reorganizing how you operated as a company. Well, they say, if you read about teams, building teams, um, I don't know if I can remember all the steps, there's storming, norming, no, there's forming, storming, norming, and performing. <laughs> That's how a team, a new team, gets to finally be good. There's a process. And they say it takes five years, at least I've read this in team building books. And that's about what it took my company to learn how to work in teams. But you realize we're doing this with the whole company at once. That was a very if I may compliment myself or not, maybe it's an insult, that was a very bold thing to do, you know, to just <laughs> take the whole company and say, I was basically betting the company on something that seemed clear to me would work. I think any, so I think any objective analysis here would say that, yeah, it was a very bold thing. Uh, it that was you, a bold move. Yeah, very bold move. So uh, you, you need to know you got to go through that process, and you need to have people that are good team players. Not everybody is. Some people like to give orders. They're good at it. Some people like to get orders. They like doing what they're told. Some people, if they're not given orders, they act out. I remember I hired one guy as a technical writer, and he spent the first three months talking on the telephone with people until we realized he's not doing anything <laughs> because there was nobody to tell him what to do. He was not one of those people that loved to do his job. Mm -hmm. So you got to find the right people. And, and in my, you know, my the history, I, I believe about half of people thrive in this kind of a system and they love it i mean they just adore it they keep telling me when i do when i used to do reviews how much they love coming to work and how different it is than what it used to be and so on so you got to find those people it's very hard to do because when you describe the group system to a new potential employee everybody loves it 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. all think it's great. Sure. But then when they're in it and uh, they want to get something done, for example, and they have to convince five other people that it's a great idea, and then the idea gets changed in the course of the discussion, maybe they don't love it so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So really, the biggest thing is getting people together and encouraging them to talk and share and not, you know, say, this guy's been here 10 years. I've only been here two months. I can't say anything. No, we're all, once you're in that group, your, your opinion is as good as any, but you've got to know that if you say something stupid, people are going to say that's stupid. <laughs> you know? Because we, we do have a motto sort of around here that uh, be gentle on people and hard on ideas. Hmm. So no insults, no fighting, no yelling, no ordering around, whatever, um, no yes sirs and no sirs. But if you've got a bad idea, you're going to hear about it. Absolutely. That, that, that makes sense to me. Um, so one of the things that a, as I was reading more about group system uh, that I was thinking about is that sometimes it can feel in hierarchical structures that um, that they give some people maybe more of a stake in the company's success, right? Like mm. uh, the higher up you are, the more invested you are in the company doing well. Whereas maybe some of the more entry-level employees don't have as much stake in the game. The success or failure of the company doesn't really uh, matter too much to them as long as at the end of the week they are able to go home with a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Do you think that in the group system and in the way that you organize things that people were able to feel more invested in the overall success of the company at that point, and that was to your advantage? Well, let me, let me tell you one more aspect of the group system, which really turned out to be a surprise breakthrough. The whole thing was a surprise, but this one thing <laughs> was when I realized that you can take a person, one individual, and put him on many groups. He can be four hours on one group, and eight hours on another group, and 10 hours on another group. At the bottom of the structure, or way at the top of the structure, or anywhere else, spread them out. And that flexibility to have people work the number of hours that that particular group, let's say one group is doing a uh, development of a, a product, it's, it's a marketing, it has a marketing person that needs a programmer to tell them the technology of the product, it needs a lab guy to tell them what the lab really needs. It only needs the programmer five hours a week, let's say. Well. If they had to hire a 40-hour-a-week programmer, that would be expensive. But if they can get five hours a week of one programmer's time, then, you know, it's inexpensive. And then when they don't need him anymore, he doesn't have to get fired. He could just go back to whatever he was, you know, the other, other groups. So that ability to put people at all different levels in the hierarchy means that the hierarchy is no longer seen as a status symbol. You know what I'm saying? Right. We have people at the top group and the directions group who have been with the company a short time. And, but we, need, we needed their expertise. And we have people you know, doing the actual programming who have been here 25 years. Uh, so it, we, we've kind of eliminated um, the, the uh, need to climb the hierarchy. Because mm -hmm. the hierarchy is not a ladder anymore. It's a three-dimensional structure which you can come into and leave and you're on this group then you're on that group and you're all over the place that makes yeah that, that makes sense to me so do you think that in doing that that you helped people have maybe a more broad view of the 
uh, of the company and everything Definitely. that was going on. So yeah, yeah, I, I think I think sometimes companies can get very siloed and people have their focus totally. and their job. And in this, you're giving totally. people a wider lens view of things. Well, there there are many many advantages of of the group system. I think I one time. Long ago, I wrote down about a hundred of them, uh, but one of them is the number of people you get to r interact with. In a typical hierarchy, if it was real, if, it, if people stuck to the hierarchy, the manager would interact only with his manager and the four or five people who report to him or her, right? Mm -hmm. That's not too many people. In reality, I've always said, that's not what happens in a company because the manager goes out with the uh, goes bowling with some other manager somewhere else and there's a softball team and there's all these informal ways that people do interact and talk about their projects and so on. And that's I think that's what happens in a corporate hierarchy. I've, I've worked in one, certainly. Um, <clears throat> but in, in this structure, there was a time when I was on groups because I like to do a lot of things and it's entertaining. You know, I, I have a lot of interests and I was on groups with half the people in my company. So they were talking to the owner of the company, the CEO. I didn't call myself the CEO, but I was, in fact, the CEO. And I'm sitting on groups with all these different people in all walks of life, different kind of people. We all talk to each other. And then when you're in a group trying to decide something, you, know, you, th you think of the connections the people on that group have. And they have connections all throughout the company. You look at those five people, they might have 50 or 60 connections. And so they, they say, you know, we're talking about this in marketing. And somebody says, well, we're talking about this over in uh, support. <laughs> and so you get, you get, you get a lot of uh, communication going on. And one of the definitions of intelligence has to do with how much communication is going on in the system. The more communication, the more intelligent. Uh, imagine all the communications going on in your brain, for example. Yeah. And so the amount of uh, interaction in the group system is orders of magnitude greater than the formal interaction going on in the corporate structure. Although, as I mentioned, there's much more interaction going on in the corporate structure than you can see on that org chart. Right, right. Um, now, it, it seems to me that, that when you form a group, that that group has a specific goal that it's working towards, correct? And so each That's person has, has a really good idea of what their particular role is in that group because they've been brought in to do a specific thing, which I think helps um, really clarify what each person is, is being asked to do, which I, I think clarity really helps people do their jobs well. Well, uh, each group has to have a well-defined goal, mm -hmm. and the goal is given to that group by its parent group, the group one step up. And that group that gave them that goal gave them that goal because it helped them achieve their goal. So you've got your group, and you have a goal, and everybody on the group knows what the goal is, and they also know that as long as you achieve the goal, nobody's going to tell you what to do. It's like a cell in your body that's encapsulated, you know, it's, uh, it's got all the machinery in there to do what it needs to do. Nobody tells the, the group what to do. So it's a, it's a bunch of interacting intelligences, so to speak, uh, but all based around these very, very well uh, delineated goals for each one of them. But the people on the group need to know that their manager is the group. So if the group decides that Joe is going to 
write a particular computer program for something, Joe has got to write that computer program, even though it's possible he didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> but the other, four, the other four or five people did. But everybody knows they don't win every battle. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's fair. It's not like you're walking into your manager's office. He tells you to do something. And you think it's stupid, but there's nothing you could do about it. Right. But, but here, you got to plead your case. People in the room decided didn't make any sense, maybe, or maybe they agreed with you. And other times, you, you, you did the same thing as somebody else. So uh, everybody gets buy-in in the end. Everybody says, mm -hmm. yeah, we made the decision. It's a team. You know what? People, people are, are in teams all over their lives. The church choir is a team. They're, your baseball team is a team. The PTA meeting is a team. We know how to deal with teams. Uh, we're very good at it. And uh, once people walk in here and look around, it's kind of like walking into a nudist colony, I suppose, <laughs> where you would never dream of taking all your clothes off, but once everybody else is doing it, you go, what the hell? <laughs> and so people sit around for a couple of meetings going, I can't believe this is happening. This is like nothing I've seen before. Next thing you know, they're talking and they get it. So wh what would you say to somebody that maybe says to you, you know, Bob, that sounds awesome. You know, I, I like the idea, but it's just going to be too confusing. It's going to, how do I know who's on what team at what time? And how do I keep track of all of this kind of stuff? What would you say to someone that, that has that concern? Well, we have, we developed software to keep track of who's on what team when. <clears throat> and it's easy to move people around. It's, it's easy to click on the software and see the entire hierarchy. You can click on one of the groups and see who's on it, how many hours each. You can click on a person and see which group he or she is on. So, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science software. It's just keeping track of a bunch of interleaved groups. Uh, but, you know, I have to say, you know, what I did was, in a sense, insane. You know, to, to just convert the company overnight, I don't think any company would do that. Somebody would have to be totally passionate believer in the group system to, to risk their company to do that. So the question is, if anybody, I don't know if anybody would, wants to convert their company to this kind of system, uh, how do you do that? And I really don't know the answer because I just <laughs> jumped in the pool. That's a really good point. And I wonder just um, how much the group system and, and the way that it operates there at Psyche, how much it has evolved from, you know, the first day that you introduced it and when you first started, um, you know, diving in and, and really going into it for the first time, how different it looks uh, 30 years later, or does it still look roughly the same that it did in those initial months and years? It's kind of like the United States Constitution, Tyler. It hasn't changed. There's been a few amendments, but essentially it's the same thing. What does change is the structure of the company because groups come and go. Mm -hmm. You know, in a typical corporate hierarchy, when you want to restructure, uh, that involves a lot of people leaving and whatever, changing things around because you're moving hardware around, so to speak. The, the nodes in a corporate hierarchy are people. Uh, and the nodes in a, in a group system are just software. The whole thing is software. It's a mental construct. So we can restructure the thing in any way we want, and we frequently do based upon whatever's going on in the marketplace or new ideas that somebody has. So the structure is continually evolving, uh, growing new, new shoots, tr pruning other shoots. But the basic idea of the group system is basically identical to its conception. 
And I'm guessing just based on some of the some of the things that you've said earlier, just that the company, you know, you haven't borrowed money and that you've been successful every year, that the group system has been effective in making sure that your business is as successful as it can be, uh, that it's been a positive change overall for for uh, for the business as well. I, I cannot state, you know, that if we had a typical, went on with a com t uh, typical corporate structure, uh, we would have been less successful or more successful. I, I don't know that, you right. know. I know that for me and for the people who work here, you know, the, that selected type of person, there's nothing like the group system. I know I've made a lot of people happy with this thing. They, you know, they don't get yelled at. They don't get ordered around. They don't feel... Like they don't count, everybody's voice counts. Uh, so I, I believe that it's provided a very nice working environment for people. And I, you know, this is me prejudiced, and I, I, I don't want to offend people who, you know, are into the typical corporate hierarchy, but I think it's a, it's a more humane, uh, pleasant environment for the people that like that sort of thing. But I don't. I don't know if we would have done better or worse with a if we stuck with the corporate structure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good point. I guess I, I suppose it is impossible to know. But I do think you're right in just that uh, not everybody is the same, and people have different personalities and have different yeah. ways that they're wired. Where um, different structures are going to uh, appeal to different types of people, and so I think there's an entire subset of people that have probably been underserved by the traditional hierarchical structure just because they're not interested in playing the politics. Maybe that it takes sometimes to right. improve in their career, or, you know, move up that ladder, but they're very interested in working and really good at working in teams and, and understand what it takes to make that work. So I think that maybe part of the strength of, of what you've been able to build is just that you've been able to bring in those kinds of people that have felt maybe alienated elsewhere that feel very at home at Psyche. Right, right. I think that's true. It's, a, it's an environment that's good for certain species and not others. Absolutely. Well, it's exciting to hear just about um, a new model, a new way of, of doing things. And uh, you've been doing it successfully for 30 years now. So it's, it's exciting to learn more about Bob Sage, the owner, founder and chairman of the board at <laughs> Psyche Systems. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, for chatting about what you've done and what you've built at Psyche over the years. Tyler, I appreciate it. Um, I think your questions were very incisive and I uh, appreciate how you presented them. Well, thank you very much. And it's, it's been a pleasure chatting and hopefully we'll uh, hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Okay.